Hi, and welcome to my podcast, The Only Girl on the Job Site. I'm glad you found me. I'm Renee Beery, and I love empowering women to take on home projects, both large and small. I have been the only girl on the job site for the past 27 years, and I have seen it all. The good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. With my help, I hope you will be able to avoid the mistakes I've seen in the past and go into your project confident and knowledgeable about the industry so that your project is as smooth and successful as possible. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today, we have a really special opportunity to talk to someone who knows exactly what it's like hiring a contractor, what to look for, the the pitfalls that one can fall into, and really go to the meat of the issue of how to avoid this, how to see it coming if if you didn't avoid it, and how to nip it in the bud before it really gets out of control. So today, I am really pleased to be joined with Matt DeBarra, and he is a contractor from sunny LA and has joined me to talk about his adventure in the contracting world and his new venture as the undercover contractor. And I'm going to let Matt tell you more about himself and what he is up to. Matt, take it from here. I really, uh, you know, I just love being here. I love doing this. I love talking about this stuff. It's something near and dear to my heart. So first and foremost, thank you. I really mean that. Absolutely. This is fun. It's fun for me too. So yeah, I mean, you know, th- this is a, it's a touchy subject now and, and I wish it wasn't like that. I wish it were easier to find, you know, the right contractor. You know, it, it seems to me, and I've said this before, at one point owning the home was the American dream. And now it seems like the American scam. It's like, you know, when you're hiring a contractor, you know, are you going to get good ethical advice? Are you going to get the right person? And I know this is a lot of stuff you cover as well. And um, one thing I find is people only tell the bad stories. Right. So the friends are telling the other friends the horror story. So everybody sort of goes into it, assuming the worst. So these poor guys are coming in going, I know this woman thinks I'm here to rip her off. And that's a really that's a tough place to stand. Right. You're you're having to prove yourself without even introducing yourself. It's really hard. I mean, my family's been in construction for four generations over 102 years. Uh, My great grandfathers came here from Italy. And I think the difference, the, the slant that I have, which is really unique, is that my great-grandfathers never set out to be contractors. They moved here from Italy. They dug holes in the ground. They bought land. And they built their houses from the ground up. They were, they were handy people. This is, was passed down from their fathers. And so it was never this, this ethos of construction equals money. It was, we love what we do. And so our family brand really started by working for your neighbor. And so it was, you know, one neighbor, then the next neighbor, then the next neighbor. And so it was never something where we got into it. And I'm not saying making money in construction is bad. I'm just saying that for us, it's not. I mean, I think it's a great thing. You know, ethical contracting and and design should be paid, you know, accordingly. But what I'm saying is for us, it was a unique slant because I was taught to really love what I did. I mean, I went to a vocational high school and on Saturdays I was laying brick with my teacher, learning how to compete in my masonry competition. So I came at it from this lens of really treat every job and every client, every interaction as if they're your neighbor and you'll never have an issue. You're not going to show up late. You're not going to scam them. You're not going to use the wrong materials. You know, if you look out your window and see their house. Um, so that was really the start of this. And then the, the pivotal point was really in the last five to seven years where I noticed things changed because I grew up in construction with my dad and some of the best memories I have was working with him on job sites and the homeowner dynamic, right? I mean, it was like, 
I would play with their kids and my dad would sit down and have dinner if we were there late with, it was just such a tight knit, you know, really interesting dynamic. And then in the last five to seven years, there's been more and more of a shift in my opinion, where it's, it's kind of polarized and you have good, really good contractors and you have really great homeowners and the space has gotten much bigger. And that middle space is really what I set out to fix. I want to, you know, help mediate along with you and what you're doing, which I think is amazing, help mediate this space because The fact of the matter is simple. There's a lot of great contractors and there's a lot of great homeowners, architects, designers, but getting fumbled up in the middle, right, is I think where the issue is. It's, you know, good contractors are sick of homeowners that don't want to pay fair wages. You know, good homeowners are sick of, and it's it's a mismatch that kind of trickles into what you said, which is that defensiveness. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think to your point, I think in the last five to seven years, 10 years, even the, the dawn of the TV shows. And so people have this, this sense of knowledge based on what they're seeing on HGTV shows or any, any of these shows, really. And, and while they educate you to a small extent, it leaves a vast amount of information out of the picture because it's not glitzy. I mean, who would want to really... Let's be fair, Matt. Who would really want to see us all day, every day in our jobs? This morning, I was... I spent the morning with rubber gloves on, calling through Carrera marble tiles, looking for the pock marks of which there was probably 60% tiles that were going to be rejected. That is not a sexy morning. I was covered in dust and, you know, came home, blitzed up and then got ready for this interview. So, you know, I think that's the problem. And so when people don't see that glitz and glamour in their own projects, they, one, feel like they've been taken advantage of. Why, why am I not experiencing this grand reveal and all of that? And why is it taking so long? You know, I see these shows, they're done in two weeks and, you know, from start to finish, they've built you a home. And, and it worries me because people, they think they, they really sincerely think they have this level of knowledge and, and, or, or better yet, they'll Google for a contractor in their area. And a lot of people, I think, Matt, going back to how you grew up is there isn't a neighborhood anymore right? You don't really know your neighbors all that well, which is a shame. And that's systemic in this country. But I think where we used to, you know, reach out to a friend and say, hey, you know, that garage apartment you just put on is beautiful. Who did the work? You don't have that. People are moving all the time. They'll ask a colleague, but they have no clue if that colleague is, you know, like-minded or has the same temperament, you know, they may be incredibly laid back, whereas the person they're asking is incredibly intense. And so the contractor that's going to work well for those two people are two different contractors typically. And so I think people just assume contractor, big umbrella, everybody's a contractor, everybody falls in the same category, and therefore they should all work the same way. But that's just not true. Right. I mean, you have to bring your personality into it. And the way you work, Matt, with your clients is going to be different than even a a guy in your firm. Right. In the same way with me, I work differently than people. My colleagues work with their clients and what works for some does not work for others. And I think that little component gets missed. Do you work with clients with the undercover contractor before things go wrong, while things are going wrong or after they're going or all of the above? So it was the undercover contractor. I, I had been the undercover contractor for many years and didn't know it. And that's really kind of how this all, all started was I was the person that people reached out to, especially here in Los Angeles. I deal with a lot of, you know, a lot of business owners. I deal with a lot of people in entertainment. 
And the way I grew up is everybody's treated the same. You know, I'm going to treat everybody great unless there's a reason to do otherwise. And then typically we just won't, you know, we won't interact. There's no negativity, simple principle. And so it was just, people would reach out and say, you know, Hey, I have this job. It's gone wrong. What should I do? Or, Hey, I have this contract I want to look over. And I didn't even know I was doing it. And it really struck me over the last two or three years when I was going through the amount of work I, we do at the bar of masonry. And I looked, I ran a report at the number of jobs that were either three months or less old that we were redoing or projects that hadn't been finished, which made up about 32% of our revenue. And I said, if one out of every three projects is either three months old, and you're talking masonry and concrete, which done right is a 50, 70, and this is California, no snow, no freeze, no thaw, no salt. I mean, it's like, it blew my mind. And so, you know, this, the undercover contractor is really about empowering homeowners, empowering in particular, I think like we touched a little bit before we recorded it's women, right. To really, who are in charge of a lot of these projects to have the tools and the confidence to make sure that, you know, these things that they might've heard about don't happen to them. Right. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's very multidimensional. I agree. And then that's sort of how this all grew. I was doing what you did. People would call me and they'd say, Renee, this guy told me X, Y, Z. And I'd say, "Mm -mm, that's not the way you can't, you got to go back. And I, that's what I thought, Renee, but I I just didn't know what to say. These are, you know, educated people. Well, you know, well intending, but they were intimidated. These people are in their homes. They're telling them what this is. And they're going, "Eh, my gut's telling me that that's not right. But until they had me basically agreeing with exactly what they said, they weren't confident to go back to them. And then so during during COVID, during shutdown, I realized how many more people I could reach through podcasts, through FaceTime, through Facebook Lives and things like that. And it's been incredible. And, and how many people are still in this in this group, um, while they still really want to do renovation projects, they're intimidated by the process. They sometimes don't even know where to begin. Um, I was telling Matt, I've got a challenge coming up because people just have a laundry list of projects and they never do any of them because they just don't know what to do or which to do and whatnot. But, um, but I agree with you. I think empowerment is really the key to this. These people know what they, they know what's right and wrong. They know when something feels wrong, their gut tells them or whatever ting, you know, whatever little butterflies or something going off. They just don't know how to handle it. And it can get awkward. I mean, I've been, I'm sure you have been, I've been in very uncomfortable situations and I watched two guys almost come to blows. I did step outside. I was like, I don't need to be a part of this, but it, it can get to that. So Matt, tell me some ideas on from your end, like how do you diffuse a situation? How do you come up against a situation going wrong and either try to salvage it because they're not all to be tossed out. Some can be salvaged. So how, how do, would you best recommend it? Yeah. So a couple, couple thoughts based on, on that, right? The first one is realizing how much, I, I think there's a level of trust that I think good ethical homeowners or, or anybody doing the hiring in this case could be a general contractor, hiring a subcontractor, you know, you're, you're doing a, a renovation project, regardless of what it is, there's a certain level of trust we want to have, right? When we're good people, right? Good people tend to want to be trusting. Um, and it goes so deep, how complicated, and this is what we're talking about, right? Is like, there, there's so many elements to finding the right contractor, right? It, it's some of the best contractors, you can't find them online at all, right? 
Most of them, by the way. Yeah, most of them, exactly. Yeah. And it's it's a situation where it's like, it's very interesting. It's like the companies that are the low hanging fruit, the ones that you see with all these reviews might not even be the best fit for your job, but guess what? They're paying the marketing companies to get uh, you know their profiles featured and then they're driving reviews to that. So they have to pay less later on. But so there's just so much beneath the kind of beneath what's happening at face value. So it's this balance of being skeptically alert, right? It's not going into the situation and saying, okay, this is a bad person. Uh, in the book, I talk about yellow flags versus red flags, a red flag. You see a red flag, you're tossing them out. You're the, the, you're crossing them off the list. You're, you know, it's a, it's a hard stop. A yellow flag is pay attention because enough yellow flags turn into a red flag. Right. And I'm sure you'll recall when you pull apart situations, you'll start to see, right. If you backtrack, it's like, well, I noticed they were a little bit late and then they had this person there that, you know, Tom was going to show up, but then it was Michael and he didn't know as much. And then uh, they forgot to invoice me. And you start to stack it up when you look and you're like, there were 17 yellow flags before you hit the full on red flag. Exactly. Um, so, so it's that, that balance of, you know, not being extreme, right? Not being overly trusting for those of us who like to trust and not being overly cautious for those of us who have experienced something bad or have heard about something bad. It's, it's, you know, skeptically aware. Um, is I one like way. that term skeptically yeah. aware. Yeah. So that's the first part. And then in terms of kind of what I, I look for, right? How to avoid some of this. Most of it is in the, so I break it down into four parts, right? Find them, vet them, hire them and manage them. So a lot of the, a lot of this takes place in the find vet phase. As a matter of fact, in the book, there's a quote, it's if the contractor that your perfect contractor isn't on your find list, they'll never be on your hire list. So you have to know where to find them. And I don't know how, how in depth you want to go, or if there's any specific questions that you think will be powerful. Well, we, we do go into finding a contractor and, you know, I, I'll get feedback like, well, I, I don't know anyone to ask. I mean, that's not true, right? I mean, ultimately there are people to ask. You may not have, you know, a best friend that lives down the street, but you have a realtor. If you own a house, you reach out to them. You have, you know, a, a colleague at work that you hear of them talking about a project. You have, if you have kids, you might have a classmate of your child's parents. You know, there are people that you can find out who they use. That doesn't mean they're the winner by any means, but it at least I tell people get a loose list, right? You need, and not more than five or six, or you'll just spend your entire time vetting these guys. It's funny. You mentioned those online sites. I actually was recently asked if a contractor I work with, whether he was on Angie's list, for instance. And I'll be honest, it's the first time I've ever been asked. And I said, I'll have to be really honest. I have no clue. So I called my contractor and he's like, oh, good Lord, I'm not on one of those lists. And his response was, well, I don't need the work. I'm, you know, I'm so busy. I don't need the work. And then he said, and I think the guys on there probably need the work. Now, that's obviously painting with a broad brush. And so I'm sure there are lots of guys on there that are legit and you know, just want to put their names out there. It is a vetting process, but you have to be so careful of this. And like you said, with the yellow flags, I've had, you know, contractors tell me, I, this hasn't happened specifically to me, but they said, you know, someone put a bad review on of me and I didn't even know it was out there. And it was a, it was a former client. They called them up. They discussed it. I think they either, you know, took it down or made, made an amend, amendment to it. But, you know, these contractors aren't spending their evenings Google searching their company names to see what's out there. So there is that. And I tell clients, if you see something online, write it down, bring it up, but keep in mind, one, they may not know anything about it. And two, it could be specific to that one job. 
And I said that one project that came almost came to blows. I can assure you, I haven't checked, but there's probably something online about it. And I was in the middle of it. And I can tell you it was 50-50 as far as responsibility. That being said, you may not want that drama in your life, but it's not always like they say, just because it's on the internet doesn't make it true, but it also doesn't make it false. So it's got to be something that you weigh into your equation. Yeah. And, and, and another thing too, that, that I, you know, talk about is, is it might not even be relevant, right? Yes. So if you have yeah. a flooring contractor and they get a bad review because they did bad laminate flooring and you're doing hardwood flooring, that's usually a separate division, separate, you know, installers. And if you look and they had a hundred great reviews on hardwood flooring and the three bad reviews they got on, on is laminate flooring, you know, it might not even be relevant to what incredibly good point. You know, yes. What you're hiring for. And, and we talk about that is like reading the reviews and, and understanding my projects here, where do the reviews fit into that? Right. Um, you know, cause we, we, like you say, it's, if we, we sometimes tend to be overly invested in what we see online, right. There's, there's an authenticity that bad reviews in my opinion are yellow flag. Like you said, right. It's, it's, you look at it, you make note of it, but it's number one, is it relevant? And number two, does it, was it just a disgruntled client? You know, were they maybe not the best client? You don't, right. you know, we don't know. Right, exactly. And, and I think people, like you said, are skeptically optimistic. So if they see a bad review, they just absolutely latch onto it. They're like, I knew it. I knew this guy couldn't be as good as he seems. Yeah. And that's not always true. I mean, it, it's hard. We're humans. You got to put that human factor in. We're not robots and, and we, we aren't programmed the same way. Plus some reviews can be 15 years old. And I explained this to a client. I said, the, the subs that this you know, comment was about, I'm sure are long gone. You know, it doesn't even mean that they're working together. And that goes both ways. I've had I live in a relatively small town. And so the referrals are pretty word of mouth. And uh, she's like, I hired the same team, but it didn't have the same, you know, end result. And I said, okay. And she goes, well, you know, John ran her project and I had Ed. And I said, there you have it. I said, you know, just because it's the same company doesn't mean the same super is going to be on your site. And even if it was, like we just said, maybe John has a, a personality you wouldn't blend with, but Ed's you did, you know, so it's, it's so specific to you and your, you know, your specific project. I don't know about in LA, but we do get hung up in my area with using the right contractor. And there are a few contracting companies who have put out amazing work year after year after year. And people just assume they want to work with them. The problem is they'll hire them for a job that's below them. And sometimes they'll take them. And I, I call them on it, you know, behind the scenes. I'm like, you shouldn't be taking this job. This is not in your level. And they're like, yeah, well, we had some time to fill and it's fine. And I don't think that benefits anybody, right? Because one, they shouldn't have taken it. And two, they're probably not going to be the exact same quality level because it's not in their wheelhouse, right? And you, we, you know, I say no to projects that are not in my wheelhouse. I'm sure you do the same thing. And it's not because you don't want to do it. It's because there's someone else better suited for that. And, and I think people get hung up on that. So I do think contractors don't help themselves out when they do, you know, when they make those decisions. And I understand there's income that needs to be, you know, created and generated to pay all of the, uh, their employees, but there has to be some sort of middle ground or they're perpetuating the problem and the stereotype of contractors. Well, yeah, if you're dangling, I mean, I, I, I know it from the, from the behind the scenes, right? It's like, imagine a contractor and, you know, a lot of times it happens too with smaller companies and a big project, right? Yeah. It's like dangling this big carrot in front of them and saying, Hey, do you want this? 
the contractor is going to go, yeah, 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 let's do it. Yeah, we've done it. You know, and it's so I talk about, you know, asking them what do they specialize in and what do they enjoy most before starting to qualify things? Because it's kind of like a restaurant. And if you go to a restaurant and you see that they've got a broad menu, they've got a lot of different things on the menu. You know, the chef might make some of those dishes three, four or five times a day. Right. And some of those dishes they might not make maybe once or twice a week. Right. So it, you want a company that's, you know, metaphorically making that dish three, four, five, six times a week. They got better crews, better equipment, better materials. You know, they're they're outfitted for that, which is exactly what you're saying to your point versus, you know, they're like, well, yeah, we've done it once. It's like, would you want to eat a meal a chef made once? Right. Exactly. And then pay for it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Pay a lot for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to your point about the yellow flags, I'm always there are an occasion I'm brought in after the project has started. And that's almost always because everything's going south. So it's my job to do sort of a forensic quick study of what what's going on, where it all went wrong. And of course, there's yellow flags all along the way. And typically, I'm like, okay, show me everything you got. And the kind of this like tote bag full of paper comes out and they sort of dump it on the counter and they're like, well, in here somewhere and they're shuffling things around and they're trying to make sense. And they're, they're telling me little tidbits and I see post-it notes. And she's like, yeah, this one guy, he gave it to me on a Tuesday. Let, let me go check out on a Tuesday. And, you know, and I'm looking, and I'm going, okay, so I've uncovered 10 yellow flags. If you'd been organized, you would have picked up after four. Right. And then the pain and suffering, whatever that may have been and whatever consequence would have happened, would have been resolved there. And so, I mean, more often than not, it's a bag. It's a tote bag full of receipts and paperwork. And and it seems so simplistic, but I tell people all the time, I'm like, get a project binder. Borrow one from a kid if you need to. I mean, like, it, like if you're spending tens of thousands of dollars on a project and you're managing it, the least you can do is get a proper binder and yeah. put everything in it at once. And, and the other thing is, I think it goes to a level of respect. I mean, one, I think a contractor feels that they're being respected. When you come to a meeting, you're prepared. You've got everything you've got covered because they're you're paying them to come to a meeting prepared. And, and two, I think it's a little harder to pull the wool over on people when the person is actually keeping track of everything and a little checks and balances along the way. So we, we you know, there's so many things that seem really obvious that go missing on almost every site I'm on that I think people can really, you know, capture those yellow flags earlier. And, and to your point, there's no guarantee a project will go smoothly. Even after you do all the vetting, even after you do all of your checks and balances, it does not mean it's a guaranteed perfect project. And so Matt, what happens, you know, if you get called in and they're halfway through, I mean, the, the, the world is ripped apart. Everything is topsy turvy. You know, do you ever encourage people to cut bait and run? It depends. I mean, it's all, it's all case by case, right? And the first thing we got to do is understand, like you're saying, right. I need to understand what happened, where the pitfalls were, why they occurred. You know, the, the easiest solution most of the time is to salvage with the existing contractor. You know, that's face value. What you want to see happen um, is salvage the relationship. So I usually go into there saying, how can I salvage this? And I start running that mental calculation in my head. I'm like, well, they would have to do this and then this would have to happen. And that, and that's the list. And if they're not willing to do that, what's the tipping point to where it's like, okay, the energy it's going to take to then, you know, fight with them about, you know, money or credits or materials, and then find a new person who wants to get involved. Most contractors don't, especially in this, you know, in this economy, which I think is important is a lot of good contractors, 
you know, I, I tell, I tell uh, clients, I'm like, the worst thing you could ever do is tell a, a good ethical contractor to sharpen your pencil and give me the best quote. Like it, it doesn't work. Like it, it, you want a good price, create a relationship with them, be friendly. Right. Correct. That's kind of an aside. And I know that because I've been on that side of the fence a million times. Right. It's like, I've never, I've never been like, Oh, well, I wasn't thinking about giving you a good price, but now that you, you mentioned it, I'm going to like, it's just, those fit, you know, it's like one of those funny little, little things that happens. I'm like, Oh, good. You just reminded me. Thank you. Yeah. I was supposed to give you 20% off. Like, and it's funny to laugh about, but it's, it's true. But I, I look to salvage a relationship first. And then if it's not salvageable, you know, who comes in, but you narrow your list. Cause a lot of good companies got, they have big profitable projects and they have a lot going on and they don't, you know, working on someone else's work is tough because every contractor knows if you're good and ethical, you're really putting your reputation on the line, every single project that you do. Cause it takes one, two or three really, really upset clients for whatever reason to start, you know, you know, cause we're, we're geographically based, right? Because exactly. we've, got, we've got people. So, you know, it's not like Amazon, right? Where, where I've got, it's like, oh, I got a bad review over here in this, you know, state, no big, or this small town rather, no big deal. It's like, this is my area and everybody talks. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually used to, of course, interior designers are always under the bus, right? They always are ripping people off. I've heard every story. My, my family will tell me stories that they've heard. I mean, you name it, I've heard them all. And I, I joke with people. I mean, I, I didn't live in, in Delaware my whole life, but I grew up here and my parents grew up here and my grandparents. And I joke with people. I'm like, I can't rip anyone off. I'm like, it, regardless of the client, my family would kill me. You know, because again, you're, you're geographically locked in. I mean, now there's this world of podcasts and Facebook lives and things like that, but my physical work, 90% is here. And I might run into the person at Target, you know, I might see that client. And, and so I have this, this, you know, moral ethical, you know, compass inside me that of course I'm going to do what's best for my client and maybe at my own expense, quite frankly. But I agree with you. We've been a part of a couple of jobs that have gone pretty south. And and I hands down agree with you that cutting loose, nobody wins. I mean, literally nobody wins. And you lose so much time and so much money and trying to get back because nine times out of 10, the contractor wants to, you know, pull out half of what the other guy did for whatever reason and not saying either of them are right to do it. But we, we did have a situation. We actually just, what we did was we changed the sub. It was, it was uncomfortable. I got to say it was awkward, but there was just a moment where he and this client of mine um, had, had gotten to to a point where it was not going to be salvageable. So we stayed with the same firm. They shuffled the, the, um, the contractor in charge. That being said, he did come in with, you know, eyes wide open thinking that she was this nightmare because of course that's what he had heard. They got along beautifully and it became quickly apparent that it was just a personality problem. And once he kind of understood how she was wired and she understood how he was wired, everything took off. And it honestly took about two weeks. I was stunned. I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. So there are ways I agree to, to salvage something without blowing up the entire project. And, and to your point about, about costs, I take offense on my contractor's behalf when I hear a client say that. And I actually will privately ask the client later, like, they only come with their best numbers, right? These are people who I work with. I trust them. They are the highest professional in their industry. And you just need to expect that. Oh, I didn't mean to insult them, Renee, but, and then they give me this litany of, I saw it online cheaper or Sally in my office got it for this. I saw it on Amazon. 
whole new thing with plumbing on Amazon, you know, this whole thing. And I said, that's fine. That's well. And if you want to go that way, then you will be taking the responsibility on. And so if something goes wrong with that plumbing fixture and you got it from Amazon, you are going to have to be dealing. Oh, I don't want to do that. Okay. Well, then we're going to go to the plumbing supply house where they have a an amazing customer service department and we're going to pay the extra three dollars because it usually does boil down to something that trivial and and I, to a funny story i had a client a million years ago lived in a very very nice neighborhood and we just were putting in a, an additional light fixture in her kitchen uh it was just a dark spot and she was I pulled in first in her driveway. She had a circular driveway and then turned around into her garage. And as I pulled in, it was probably eight in the morning. She was zipping around into the back, really actually quite fast for being in her driveway in her Jaguar. And I thought, okay, maybe I caught her off guard, whatever. So I got to the door. She opened the door and she's like, oh, it's just you. She's like, I didn't know if the electrician was right behind you. I didn't want him to see my car. And I thought, what is she talking about? And then it dawned on me and I said, Okay, I am standing in front of like a 9,000 square foot home in a very wealthy neighborhood. And she was worried that he would see her Jaguar. I think he'd be worried if he didn't see a Jaguar. And then he came in, as she, we set him up, we did the work. I told him, I said, I'm not going to babysit him. This is my electrician. I've worked with him for years. Oh, no problem. She went off to work. She called me later. I can't believe I didn't get the work done. I'm not even sure he did anything today. And I went into a panic. I thought, what happened? So I called him and he goes, uh, I have no idea what you're talking about, Renee. He goes, ask her to look up. Sure enough, he had installed the light. Everything was perfect. And she said to me after repeatedly apologizing, she goes, he didn't leave a mess. So I figured he hadn't done the work. And I thought, you know what? This is a reflection on her, not on my, my electrician. She has clearly had poor contractors in the past who have either bilked her because she drives a Jaguar or they've left in a complete mess in their house. And, and it is hard. I mean, I think, you know, you and I talk about it is like, we're automatically assumed that things will go wrong when we meet someone. And I'd love to get the world back to assuming the best in people until they prove otherwise. So tell me again, I know I've kept you a long time, but tell me again um, what you're working on, what, what we're going to be getting from you in the future and how we can see more of Matt Dabara in the front in the future. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I, you know, I have a book, The Undercover Contractor. Uh, subtitle is How to Not Get Screwed by Your Contractor. Um, and it's for, you know, it's, it's for anybody doing a third party transaction related to construction, general contractors, homeowners in particular, uh, real estate agents, investors. And the end goal is to just shorten that bridge, right? I want there, I want this to be an enjoyable experience. I mean, these are people's homes, right? This is something you want to be excited about. The worst part about it is that you have a job done that you don't like. And every time you see it, I go to quotes and they're talking about something that happened 10 years ago. Yeah. Like they're like, oh, this porch, I'll, you know, I'll be putting something in and they'll be like, oh, this porch, you know, it was a nightmare getting this done. I'm like, when did you have it done? They're like, oh gosh, about 10 years ago. I'm like, it just shows the the emotional impact of, you know, what it's like to, to be taken advantage of or to have something not, you know, done ethically or professionally on your home, what that does. And, and that it just, you know, from my family's roots and kind of what, what I've had a part in, it just, it kills me to see that. And, you know, I think. And I think there's more people like us right? That it kills us to see it, to all get, you know, bundled into that basket with one bad apple. And, and I, I'm thrilled that, you know, you can 
you can bring out eBooks. I can do podcasts. You're going to be, you know, bringing a podcast out, you know, and educate people that there's actually, in my opinion, more people like us than there are not. And, and I think those bad actors are out there and I think they just get the most airwaves because it's an exciting story, right? I got screwed. I got this, you know, this went wrong. The guy's porch was awful. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not as much fun to say, yeah, it all went smoothly. Isn't it great? Like that's not as much of, that's not as an exciting a story to tell, but I do think, I think there's, I just, maybe I am too optimistic, but I, I think there's more people like us than there are the bad actors. No, I completely, I completely agree a hundred percent. And I think, you know, the whole point of this, and I touched on it at the end of the book is to just, it's, it's just about awareness, right? Because I think as we're, we're more aware and more knowledgeable, you know, we're going to be able to see that. I think there's just an under underlying comfort, like we talked about earlier in seeing five-star reviews in a company that our friend worked with. And it's just like everything else subsides, you know, referrals are extremely dangerous things because if you did great work at my friend's house, you're automatically, you know, I automatically assume you're going to do great work for me. And we just talked about the litany of things that have to go into that, you know, same job style, you know, company dynamic hasn't changed in three or four months. Maybe somebody that was really good was out with COVID. I mean, there's so many things behind the scenes that affect it. So yeah, it's well, really let me about ask you this. Is your company ever give a, give the name of a referral of a job that didn't go well? I mean, that's the other thing I tell people. I'm like, come on, people, of course, they're going to give you their best jobs. That doesn't mean that they that they have you know 50 bad jobs. It just assume that you're going to get a good report. And I tell people, you know, to try and listen between the lines, right? Listen to how the person's telling you how wonderful the guy is. And then I always say, like, push back and be like, like you said, like, what was your favorite thing about working with John? You know, and, and, and what was the hardest thing or what was the thing you had to learn the most about John? And that could be like, you know what? I, you know, what? he, he never really showed up at eight. He got there like eight fifteen, eight twenty. 20. Now, is that a negative review? No, but if your personality is, I need you to be here at eight, you said eight, then you know that John might not be your guy. It's not a bad thing, but he just may not be the right fit for you. Or you've got to take your kids to school and you've got to leave by eight. And if he's shown up at eight 15 and you don't want to leave the door open, he's definitely not your guy. So I try to tell people, and it's hard to do, right? I mean, it's hard to sort of listen between the lines, but if I, I give them enough sort of examples like that and they're like, Oh, okay. Now this, it, the, the person saying the guy showed up at not at eight 15, they didn't seem to care. So it wasn't a negative to John. So they're not feeling badly telling you that or that they're sharing some dark secret about John, but it may impact your decision-making even if John did good work, right? Because I, I agree with you, doing just good work isn't the same as the relationship. I mean, these people are together. I'm on projects for two, two and a half years. You better like each other, right? It's going to be a long two and a half you know, years if you actually just don't get along. So I think there's so much to it. And people don't assume that. They just think, I saw his work. I walked through a house. It looked pretty great. Well, there's a whole lot behind that scene of that finished product. Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree. And I think what you're doing is great. What, you know, what we're both trying to do, I think it's extremely important. And I think, you know, the more we can just empower, you know, knowledge and, 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 you know, takeaway messages is when we touched about this, I think before, or touched on this rather before we started recording is to really just trust your gut. I, I think there's a, there's a big, you know, fear or, or kind of a, 
you know, a second guessing of, well, you know, they were a little late. And I really, like you said, it's like, well, if you don't like them being late, just let them know. Say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm just, it's weird, right? Like you can joke about it, be like, it's weird, but I'm a stickler for time. Like everybody knows in my company, you know, to borrow masonry, it's like, I'm a stickler for my crews being on time. Like that's my own thing. That's a bar that we set, right? Like yeah. they, they know it's like, if they're like two minutes is late, you 10 right. minutes is on time, you know, that, yeah. that kind of thing. So you know, trusting that gut and being, be willing to have those uncomfortable conversations, especially, you know, what I used to do. And a lot of what the undercover contractor is about was, you know, helping women, right. That are managing these projects. And so feeling confident about, you know, saying these things and, and, and doing it up front, because here's the thing, right. And this is one of the, the, you know, things I've learned sitting on both sides of the fence. I've been on, we did the math writing the book. I've been on over 4,000 sales appointments with my dad as a kid up till now. And you, you learn a few things when you do that many. And one of them is you have about a minute or two to set a first impression. And, you know, contractors, believe it or not, have boards, right? I've been in so many offices. I know so many companies, they have boards. And I know these boards. Exactly. And clients get prioritized by you know, relationship. So both positive and negative factors, right? This is Jane. She doesn't put up with any crap and she's awesome, right? I know how contractors talk about people. So how do you get yourself to the top of that board where if there's an issue in the company, oh, you know, uh, Joe can't make it today. Well, which crew is not going to show up to the job? Well, Jane's been awesome. She, you know, she's a joy to deal with. We're going to make sure that they show up, you know, uh, you know, Michelle over here, she's been a little bit, ah, she kind of, you know, she tried to beat us up on some things we didn't do. So whatever, we'll give her the day you're dealing with a limited amount of resources. So it's how do you make it to the top of that list? Right. And, and, you know, I hear this a lot, you know, I, I don't need to, to suck up to the contractor. I don't need to, you know, be overly kind. I, I have some clients who, who barely speak to them and mm -hmm. they're the jobs I'm running. So in theory, they, they don't have to, but these people are in their home and I always encourage them. I'm like, look, he's not a guest. I'm not expecting you to make coffee for him, but you know, you might want to talk to him. You might want to just engage in some, you know, even superficial level. It, it goes a long way. They're, they're, again, they're humans. They are bringing their best A game to your home to satisfy your dream project. And, and I think it's okay to be friendly. And, and I think it's important to be friendly. And like you said, you get to the top of the board. Now, that being said, and I don't want listeners to think that, you know, oh, and that's why they weren't showing up. You know, I was on the bottom of the board. Now, obviously, Projects have to be categorized anyway, but it does, it, you know, it, this and also, to be honest, uh, the squeaky wheel, right? Even the polite squeaky wheel will get the most attention. So, again, that comes back to organization. If these clients, these women know, hey, I'm looking at my schedule, the flow chart that I was given by my contractor, and next week we're scheduled for templating the countertops. But, gee, I don't know much about it. You know, the vanity's not in. So how are we going to be doing that? That's that's an OK squeaky wheel. That's a hey, John, what's going on? I, I see. You know, are we going to have to push off the countertops? To be fair, the guys I've worked with would appreciate that. That means she's engaged. She's paying attention. He may have a legitimate reason. And for whatever reason, he just hadn't told her yet. And that's usually what the case is. Oh, sorry, there was a delay in the cabinet, you know, the cabinet maker or whatever. But I, I think this engagement and which includes friendliness you know, I've had some clients go a little overboard and, you know, they host, I had this one woman, she was lovely. She would host lunch every Friday. And in my part of the world, um, sub sandwiches are very popular. So she would get all the guys sub sandwiches. 
And she was an older client. She was down downsizing to a beautiful home. And about four months in, she's like, Renee, is it me or do more, more guys show up on Fridays? And I said, no, no, it's not you. It's, it's the lunch. And she said, you know, I'm not going to get rid of it, but I am going to have to alter it to pizza because this is getting really expensive. And so she knew the value of that. Now she wasn't fluffing them. She was just treating them with respect. She knew that they were bringing their A game. She appreciated that. And she knew she was paying them too. Right. And so everyone's like, well, I'm paying them. I don't need to, you know, get them all these perks. It's not perks. And I I equated it right around Christmas. I did an episode about this and I equated it with like an office mate, right? If you're working in an office, chances are you might get a box of chocolates. I have fabric reps who send me a nice, you know, a mug and some chocolates for Christmas. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm giving them business too, but it's just a mutual, hey, I really appreciate the work you're doing. Keep Mm -hmm. it up, right? Where, where is the downside in that? That's what I, you know, always impress upon my clients. There's no downside. And, and even as you know, a lot of interior designers, Matt, have been, you know, reaching out to me because they don't do what I do. And I, I guess I just stumbled into it with the program and the people I worked with in New York. And they say, you know, Renee, I'm getting dragged onto these projects now by clients and I really like it, but I don't really know a whole lot of what I'm doing it. And they're like, how do you kind of get in with the contractors? And I said, well, you, well, you don't get in, you just treat them well. And you, you ask what they're doing. I'm always asking guys, I'm like, why are you doing it that way? And it's not an accusatory. It's, Hey, I've never seen it done that way. Explain it to me because there usually is more than three, four five different ways of doing something. And a great example. It was really cold last winter. The house was enclosed, but no windows. So it was freezing inside. And we were going to have an 8 a.m. meeting. I stopped. I got donuts. I got hot chocolate and coffee. And the guys were thrilled. They were like, wow, the client wasn't even there. I wasn't doing it for the client. You know, I was like, you know, these guys are probably freezing their, you know, what's off. And we're going to sit around and talk for almost two hours. We may as well enjoy ourselves. It was hysterical. Most of the guys got hot chocolate. And then the other guys were ribbing the others for getting hot chocolate over coffee. And, you know, I mean, it just, it added yeah. this level of rapport. And I'm constantly telling clients that I'm like, you need a rapport. You guys are becoming friends. These people are in and around your life for months on end, let alone years. And by the way, you will be asking for favors at some point, exactly. right? I mean, no. that's a reality. I'm asking for favors. Clients are asking for favors and it goes both ways. Contractors are asking favors of me. So I just, it, you know, people keep pushing back and saying, well, I'm paying them. I don't need to do this other stuff. It's just a level of humanity and kindness, in my opinion. Yeah. And I call that the black and white relationship. If you want the black and white contract relationship, that's fine. But I don't need to come down on a Saturday. You know, I don't need to pay overtime. I don't need to stay late because we found something. And, you know, that's I mean, not, not saying that that's what I do, but speaking on behalf of the contractor, it's like if you want the black and white textbook, this is what's on the agreement. None of those little things have to happen. You know, I, I don't need to send my fastest installer as long as the other one's good. You know, there's all these little incidentals that that you know, like you're referring to that you get when you're just treating them with a level of just human respect and, and human respect. That's all it is. Yeah. And and also you're, you're playing on an equal playing field. And I think that's really is sometimes a missing link that they feel, well, you work with your hands. I work in a suit and therefore, you know, we're, we're at different levels. And, and quite frankly, I would put some of my suited clients up against my uh, contractors and, uh, and every day that the contractor might win out you know, as far as, as human, human qualities and, um, and abilities, quite frankly. 
So I, I really do appreciate this, Matt. This was amazing. And this will not be our last discussion because obviously what we're doing aligns beautifully and, and we're, we're coast to coast trying, trying to change this. Yeah. Uh, now, when is your ebook coming out? And, and also a little bit about the podcast. Yeah. So podcast will be, what are we, March, I would say mid-March is what we're looking at. Um, and then the book is about another month, I would say for, for final design. So that's excellent. Okay, great. So I'm doing a challenge this month to try and get these laundry lists of projects under control and clients selecting them and moving forward finally to hire contractors and go through the process that we just discussed. And then at the end of this month, I'm launching my course that Matt and I have talked about in the past. It goes into what we just discussed here, as well as moving throughout the entire project. So um, Matt, I don't think this will be our last time talking about this, this amazing topic that I think needs more airtime. And I, I really appreciate you also need to send some warm weather our way because yeah. he's out in sunny LA and I've got snow out my window. <laughs> Snow's great in pictures, but yeah, it's great in pictures. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's fun to sled and that's about yeah. it. Yeah. Matt, I'm so glad we connected. I will definitely keep in touch. Sounds good. Well enjoy okay. the rest of the day. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to reach out to me. You can email me or direct message me through social media, and we can start a conversation about what it is you're going through right now. That will also help me come up with other ideas for future podcasts that I can share with everyone, as I assure you, we're all in the same boat together. I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave me a review. If you would like to find out more about me and what I can do, please go to my website, www.devignedesign.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope to hear from you soon.